0: Alrighty. So then, how's everybody doing? Need a drink. Well, one of you is good. good. All right. So <laughs> right. well, week five. would say. He would say, "Alive and kicking." Is this week five? Topic five. So I think we have. I don't know. There's at least three left, possibly including this one. But anyway, good morning, Robbie. Craig
1: requested
0: you hold off for a few minutes. Oh, my. (laughs) Craig would request that. Uh, Yeah, we'll save. Um, So we're going to read Psalm 13. I've got a a prayer from Augustine, St. Augustine who lived in the 4th century. He was born in like three... Early 300s. Maybe like three...
2: Who thre- was born first, Calvin or Augustine?
0: Augustine. Way before. Yeah, Calvin... A long time ago, one of you guys in the yeah. said
2: that Calvin got all his thoughts from Augustine. Yeah, yeah. Must have been you.
0: I have, might have been. Probably that sounds like something I'd say I mean, right. <laughs> um Calvin was born in the fifteen hundreds oh, okay. augustine in the three hundreds yeah so, so yeah, so Calvin was Reformation era, mm-hmm. augustine was early church era, mm-hmm. okay. but both have some good things to say, both have some weird things to say too, <laughs> and. Oh, my. Don't. It's been a good day, Brandon. Let's not go there. Okay, we will read Psalm 13 and then pray uh, with the help from a brother uh, from the past. So, Psalm 13 says, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul? and have sorrow in my heart all the day. How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Let's pray. Great are you, O Lord, and greatly to be praised. Great is your power, and of your wisdom there is no end. And man, being a part of your creation, desires to praise you. Man who bears about with him his mortality, the witness of his sin, even the witness that you resist the proud. Yet man, this part of your creation, desires to praise you. You move us to delight in praising you. For you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. We thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Any thoughts? Passage, prayer, before we jump in? That's one of Augustine's most famous lines ever. Our hearts are restless until they find our rest in you. It's from his Confessions which uh, is a book about his conversion that he tells basically through writing prayers. It's kind of interesting. but So I thought it would be helpful for us um, to do some review from last week because uh, we did kind of rush through the last uh, few... Um, I don't remember. Last few points at least. Uh, but I did give the homework sheet out, I think. Any observations to make or share from Acts 17, 16 to 34? Or survey results to share from. The I question. To do, uh, oh, yeah? Good. And any thoughts?
2: Matter of fact I wrote it down. Can
0: I read what I Sure? sure. All right.
2: I mean you know some of the words. Ex operate operato mm-hmm. through working at work. Yeah. Baptism equals justification. This yeah. is the category. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he also said mortal sin allows to lose justification mm-hmm. but faith is kept through baptism. Mm-hmm. And penance, I guess that means confession.
0: It's part of it, yeah, yeah. Okay, he said many professions,
2: <coughs> teopsolo, whatever. Te absolvo. Okay, mm-hmm. right. and then another one I can even know. Nankondine Merit, mm. uh, he said that means they're worthy to reward. And then another super, whatever you call it, super something. Yeah. It says Merit, and when you have that, you can apply Merit to those in Purgatory.
0: Yeah, yeah. So he, yeah. We talked about justification last week, which we'll briefly review here in a second. But um, I had a sermon from R.C. Sproul that I recommended on on the topic of justification, and he spent a lot of time looking at the system of Roman Catholicism um, because it's very different than what we discussed as our understanding of justification last week, and we'll do so a little bit this week, but. Um, yeah, all of those things that Jim just mentioned are central to their understanding of how someone stands before God justified. And so the question that we were uh, asking and answering last week, we, two questions really. How can, how can someone stand before God righteous and how can a, a holy God um, forgive sin? And we looked at a couple different options on how that happens, but we ended up, um, I think, by saying the only way that that can take place is by faith, by grace through faith. And and we looked at Romans 5, uh, where God is the just and the justifier of those who uh, place their faith in Him. So He doesn't doesn't just, just wink at sin and say, oh, you're good. Uh, there is a penalty that needs to be paid, and the Lord Jesus pays that penalty. And when we place our faith in Him, His righteousness is applied to our account. So then, it might be helpful to review by starting with the definition of justification. We took this from a, a systematic theology textbook, so it is a very textbook definition. For that, I kind of apologize, but only kind of. Um And it it just simply states that justification is the instantaneous legal act of God in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and thinks of Christ's righteousness as belonging to us and therefore declares us to be just or morally righteous in his sight. So, the blank that you have in front of you is legal and we were stressing the importance of the instantaneous legal act of God as opposed to the process of uh, Roman Catholicism, for instance, where justification starts at baptism, and you fall in and out of a state of justification. Uh, But we would hold that justification is instantaneous, and it's a legal declaration from God where He says, you are righteous by faith. And that's not something you fall in and out of. That's something that you either have or you don't. And once you have it, you have it. And we looked at we looked at the three circles. Oh, I didn't put the three circles up this time, did I? Yeah. That's all right. They weren't very good to begin with. Does anybody remember what the three circles were? One was fully colored in,
1: one was not
0: colored in, one had a plus sign. Yes. Cross, yeah. So, so the first circle, and I thought for sure I put those in. Maybe there I did the wrong order. Just give me there. We go. Hey, hey, I had you draw three circles. The first one you colored it in, and under the circle, uh, you put guilty. guilty innocent, and righteous. Yeah, because outside of Christ, we all stand guilty. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then in justification, there's a second circle that comes. In, and and this is oftentimes we're, we're trying to make the point that this is oftentimes where we stop with the story of justification where there is innocence because we are forgiven by God. so is guilty innocent but then I feel like an infomercial every time I say this, but wait, there's more <laughs> because not only are we innocent, we are given the very righteousness of Christ And so it's it's not just simply all right, yep, you're forgiven. Your slate is wiped clean, but then you are, by grace, through faith, given the righteousness that Jesus alone earned. So then, uh, that was, those were the three circles that we tried to illustrate with, and uh, for some reason I went out of order. So let's, we'll just review these quickly because um, we can. So then we looked at four false views of justification Religion was the first one uh, where they would try to say that good works equal justification and kind of illustrated this by looking briefly just really in passing at the system of of Islam where they would believe something to the effect of uh, when I die as long as my good the good that I've done outweighs the bad that I've done then God will let me into heaven. Now, that is a frightening system to live under. Because, I, I mean, I don't know about you. My good, or what I think is good, does not outweigh my bad. And, and to, to base that, like to, for that to be the foundation of my justification before God, would be entirely frightening. Uh, because, well, I know my heart. So, religion, good works, equals justification. Roman Catholicism, faith plus good works equals justification. So, Rome would not say that justification is by works. They would say it's faith plus works. And that's the cinem- the, the system of penance um, where there are even times where like there's punishment that you have to inflict on yourself in order to, in some way, pay the penalty for your sin. Uh, Your prescribed prayers to pray, Hail Marys and those sort of things. But then there's also um, the seven holy sacraments, which start with baptism, uh, first holy communion, uh, leading to things like marriage, and then the ultimate is being ordained to the priesthood, but not everyone is a priest. And so there are things that not everyone can attain to, which is where the extra merit and things come uh, and and all of that. So it, it's faith plus all of that stuff, uh, where you have to to kind of you place your faith in Christ, but then you also are adding to it the good that you do. Okay.
2: So the more merit you
0: have, the yeah, better you are, better right, you are. yeah, and 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 yet I think most Catholics would say, no matter how much good you do in your life, you're still going to end up in purgatory. And it may I mean it may be short but you're still going to end up there where um it's called purgatory because it's a it's a process of purgation it's a removal of evil and so their their opinion is that you cannot go from this earth where you are sinful to heaven where you are not sinful without some sort of step in between and so purgatory is the place where um over sometimes thousands of years you'll you're there And you're being purged of evil so that you can enter into heaven. And people on earth who are still alive can pray for you to help the evil be purged quicker and all of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. One of my favorite stories. uh, Yeah. They, They wanted to build the Sistine Chapel. And they needed the money to pay for the Sistine Chapel, so they started the system of basically buying forgiveness of sin for you or for someone else. So my favorite story, uh, Johann Tetzel, who uh, was one of the originators of of this system, uh, once encountered a guy who approached him and said, Hey, so I can, I can buy one of these indulgences to forgive future sin. Anyone's sin. Yeah. And and Tetzel's like, oh yeah, 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 of course, of course. And the guy thinks about it, he's like, okay. And, and, and so he's like, I, he comes, he goes away to think about it for a while, comes back to him, and he's like, I'd like to buy one of these indulgences. And Tetzel's like, all right, here you go, whatever. And punches him in the face. He says, but I've already been forgiven for this. So, You know, that, yeah. Anyway, just an interesting system. And this is what Martin Luther in the Reformation took (sighs) great. Um, He was very much against the system of penance, rightly so. Uh, And and so he did all that he did. So
2: Catholics still believe
0: that? They don't sell indulgences. (laughs) However, uh, when the Pope got Twitter... He was offering indulgences to people who followed him. Wow. And that was less than 15 years ago. So they've not done away with indulgences. They're just not selling them anymore. Any yeah. Yeah. So if you wanted some time off in purgatory, all you had to do was follow the Pope on Twitter. Or
2: repent
0: believe in the gospel of Christ. Hey! Then you get no time in purgatory. So anyway, yeah, that, that's, that is a, an oversimplification of the Roman Catholic system of justification. I think all of that is wrong, just to be clear. The third thing we looked at is decisionalism, which I think is very prevalent in modern-day evangelical circles, where basically all you have to do to be saved is pray a prayer, walk an aisle, sign a card, whatever it may be. And you make this decision that then in no way affects the way that you live. And so it, it's simplified as a profession of faith equals justification. So as long as I, as Romans 10.9 says, confess with my la- mouth and believe in my heart that Jesus is Lord, God raised Him from the dead, I'm good but my life's not going to change because I've done all that I need to do.
2: Well, I was listening to Sproul, what he say about that. The last thing I wrote down Yeah. about profession of faith. You can't profess faith as a Christian, of course. Uh, you must possess faith. Yeah, yeah. That's that good. That was pretty good when Yeah,
0: good turn of phrase. Yeah.
2: A lot of people believe that now, though, that all you have to do... Like, yeah. like I, would, I wasn't here last week,
0: but I was reading that. Like, it has like, the survey. Yeah. I would love to
2: post that yeah. just to see...
0: You know, like not even people that
2: I know like mm-hmm, on Facebook mm-hmm. or something. And just right. see what people would say about that. Because I think the majority of people think that
0: just, you know, like if even if you go to a funeral and the, the person is not a Christian, yeah. they would say, you know, oh well, they're in better place, they're in yeah, heaven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not even truly know Christ. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's very prevalent. And I mean, even what Pastor Tim was saying this morning goes directly against any sort of decisionalism, uh, what Paul is saying in, in Romans twelve that there is a a genuine love that you will possess there's life change that must take place if you have faith in christ, and so decisionalism wrong again, even though many people believe it uh, excuse me fourthly and finally is legalism, which is kind of interesting. Uh, if if I were to say that one of these on this list is where I struggle, it would be legalism. I'm very good at following rules, or at least looking like I'm following the rules to everyone who's watching. Um, <clears throat> but legalism would just simply state that justification is by faith. So you are declared righteous by God by faith, but you get right standing with him by works. And so he basically you're justified but you're brought in you're justified by faith but brought in by good works and so you try to you know add commands to scripture you try to look more holy than you actually are this is what a lot of the pharisees were doing in the time of Jesus where they were they were adding commands to scripture so that they would look more holy and that was um i think in part the beginning of of this legalism view where you would say oh yeah 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 justification faith yeah of course but god's going to let me in because of my good works again not the case because justification is the instantaneous legal act of god in which of, in which he thinks of our sins as forgiven and christ's righteousness as belonging to us and therefore declares us to be just or morally righteous in his sight that happens by grace through faith Nothing we can do to earn right standing with God, we are given it as a gift when we place our faith in him.
2: Can I say something else? Uh yeah? Ephesians two eight and nine. We know verse nine says, Um uh, uh, For the grace are you saved through faith that now yeah. yourselves a to you God and our works of any man's brothers. Uh and then it talks about good we are supposed to do good works. Yeah,
0: crea- yeah good works. Yeah.
2: So I don't understand what they're saying there, mm-hmm. because if you're not doing good works, you could look bad in God's sight, even though you're, you're already justified.
0: Yeah, so so it, there's I think I would say differently than to say that you look bad in God's sight, because we we look good because of the work of Christ. Sure. Yeah, you're right. But then there's and I think what Ephesians is saying like um, when you're saved. There are good works that you're supposed to do because there's a fruit that is going to be produced by your life. That's what I wanted to say. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Teamwork, you know. Uh Yeah, that's good. That's good. So then, this week, uh, what I wanted to look at is how we are to respond to the gospel. So, we've talked about justification uh, and justification by grace through faith. uh, But if we are going to be sharing these truths with non-believers... Uh, We need to know what it is that we are calling them to. How it is we're calling them to respond. And I think that's what we'll see this week in Acts chapter 17, verses 16 to 31. It was part of the reading assignment, so maybe you've made some observations already from this. Um, But, I think this really tiny text... It might be helpful just to read um, the the sheet says to answer the questions in groups, right? Mm-hmm. Let's just do one large group discussion um, and instead of breaking off into s- smaller groups. So then, Acts 17. We'll start in verse 16. I do want to read this so that it's fresh in our, m- our minds as we discuss a couple of the questions. It says. In him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That's just an amazing passage. I, I, I mean, there's much we could say. I, I, so I think think the the foundation that I want to share, even just before we look at some of these questions. Paul comes to this place called the Areopagus. It may be translated Mars Hill in whatever translation you're reading. And so. Paul comes to this place, and it is a place of idol worship. And the verse that, that really just sticks out to me is, is 21, where he says, Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. So, so they're spending their time in this place of idol worship trying to figure out, what God or gods they should be worshiping. And that's why Paul says what he says, which we'll, we will ask specific questions about. But it's just a very interesting passage because I think, I mean, it applies in some sense to our culture today where um, everybody wants something new. Right. That's what they wanted at Mars Hill. They wanted something new, and they even had, had the, the altar to the unknown God. Just in case they missed one among the however many they had there, just in case we maybe maybe we you know maybe we don't know all of it, we just need to to make sure the unknown God as well, and Paul comes on the scene and says, "Hey, uh this unknown God, you know he can be known right and so yeah, anyway
2: uh
0: having read acts seventeen sixteen to thirty one we're gonna ask our usual questions, plus a few others. But the first one, and please just offer feedback, don't feel like you have to raise your hand or anything. In Acts seventeen, sixteen to thirty-one, how is mankind described?
2: Idol worshippers.
0: Yeah. With that, what 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 could we say about them? They're idol worshippers, and that's the negative, but is there maybe something positive that we could say about idolatry, which maybe is not a great question, but I have something in mind and I'm not really sure how to ask it, so that's how I'm asking religious. they're religious yeah, so and and this goes back even even to where we began that we are created in the image of God, but we are created to worship right we're going to worship something and and they're expressing their worship in idolatry, which is not good, but they are religious and they are worshiping. So that's one of the things. They're religious, but idolatrous and ignorant is how I, I said it. There's one other, at least one other description to note.
2: Say something. <laughs> I can
0: say something. <laughs> I can say a lot of things. There, go for it. Blind. Blind. Uh, it's another obs- observation. Not the one I was thinking of. I think
1: it's interesting you point out verse 21. There are those who spend their time in nothingness are coming up here in something new They're
0: They understand they're missing something. It. Mm, yeah. It's that you know, everybody tries to fill a God-sized hole with, yeah, yeah, with god yeah. But it's like they know
1: there's something missing, but they don't know what it is, so
0: they're, they're seeking. Yeah. Yeah, maybe it's like they're restless until they find their rest in God. Huh. Didn't we read that already today? Oh, cool. What, I, what I'm what i looking for here, I'll just tell you, is in verse uh, 28 and 29, it says that, we are indeed his offspring so being then god's offspring we ought not to think that the, that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone an image formed by the art and imagination of man
2: that's what paul said
0: yeah yeah and he quotes one of their poets to say it to them paul. yeah he quotes um erastus okay where's that twenty eight and as even some of your poets have said, oh, okay. yeah, yeah, which we can talk about that here in a second as well and 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 Robbie said of this that this speaks to being created in the image of God, and so it, it's interesting though that what they're doing at at Mars Hill at the Areopagus is instead of realizing okay i'm created in god's image i need to worship him how he says he wants to be worshiped they've created gods in their image and so they they've flipped the script entirely and and they've they've formed these idols out of gold and silver and stone in the art and imagination of man which is a direct violation of uh, the second commandment. Lord of God? Yeah. And, and so it's just interesting that Paul describes mankind as offspring being created in the image of God, and says, "But you've made gods in your image." Mm-hmm. So then, in this passage, think with me: How is God described? Oh, there it is. Those are the two things that I had. That's an easy.
2: Unknown
0: God. That's how they're. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they... That's how they think of him. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay, okay. Not served by humans. Right. So he has no need. If you want the the theological term for that, it is aseity. That God is self-sufficient, which speaks to the first one that I was looking for. That He is the Creator. That he's Lord. Sovereign. Yeah.
2: Are you saying both people are saying different
0: things? Or are you I think Paul God. is saying this, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Judge. He's the judge. Generous giver. Generous giver. Making of, I mean, be making off of mankind being offspring of God. Be father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Seven. He's not
0: actually far off right one of us. yeah and and that that's just an interesting interesting thing to think of um in twenty seven they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him so it it almost gives you this picture of like you know eyes are closed in the darkness, trying to look around. And I, I mean, I, th- that, I think that's the case. You know, our eyes are are darkened until God opens up the blinds, as it were, so that we can see who He is.
1: So speaking more towards what Paul talks about in Romans 1.20, right? With the whole general revelation kind of thing is through nature we can see the invisible attributes of mm.
0: God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. We know there's a creator because there's a creation. There's probably many things from this class that I sound like a broken record saying, but it's all right. Hopefully we can remember them.
2: The more I hear, the more I'll
0: understand. All right. That's what I'm going for. There's also, I, I think, an observation to be made from 29 to 31, which shows the desire God has for mankind's redemption. So, th- maybe just 30 specifically, the times of ignorance got overlooked, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. Because He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom He has appointed. And of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. So, so I mean... God is not finding pleasure in the fact that their their eyes are closed in a dark room, look, and they're looking around for Him, and and it's it's all as if they can't find Him. And and so God has this desire for mankind to to know Him, to be redeemed, to be in relationship with Him. Another question based on this passage, basically what Paul is doing here is proclaiming the gospel to them. And so the question we ask is, what is the call of the gospel? What does Paul say to them that would help them escape from the coming judgment that we've just read in 30 and 31? Repent. Repent in light of the coming judgment. And he points specifically to the Lord Jesus By saying, of this He has given assurance to all by raising Him from the dead. We talked last week from 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ is not raised, our faith is in vain. And we are most to be pitied. But that's not the case because He got out the grave. (laughs) And He was raised from the dead. And if we repent, then... God promises that our sins will be, will be forgiven because of the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. I
2: mm-hmm. like 32, some of the resurrection of the dead. God raised Jesus from the dead. And he said, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked.
0: Yeah. Of course, others did it. Yeah, but then, then others said, We will hear you again about this. Right. So they're interested. And Paul went out from their midst. Some men joined him and believed, among whom were Dionysius, the Areopagite, and the woman named Damaris, and others with them. Yeah. So, I mean, we see God is working through these words of Paul, and, and people came to faith in Christ because of his presentation. So, if we were to look at this this passage, and I think this was supposed to be a question that you discussed, but... I mean, maybe we can do that still. If we were to outline the main ideas from this passage that Paul gives us in in 17, and looking specifically at 24 to 31, we learn some things about God. These may not be new for us, hopefully. Because I think what we learn is that God is the loving Creator. In verses 24 to, to, to 29, we see the God who made the world and everything in it, mm-hmm. being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is He served by human hands as though He needs anything, since He gives life to all mankind and everything. Uh, and it speaks then of of His creation of Adam, mm-hmm. dwelling places, and things like this. Um so so we're, we're we're building on on where we've been as in our discussion of God and Paul is portraying God as the loving creator lord of heaven he has authority he's not served he has no need he has given to mankind everything that we need uh, but then i think in 24 to 25 th- we see that God is the supreme authority. So from this we see oops, that see 24 He made everything Lord of heaven and earth does not live in temples nor is He served by human hands as though He needed anything since He Himself gives life to all mankind and breath to everything. One of, one of the most important things to keep in mind when when thinking about God, is what's called the creator-creature distinction. And so God is our loving creator, and we are His creation. And because because of how that relationship exists, the right response is to see Him as the supreme authority. So when when God speaks, we listen, we seek to obey, uh, but also... Uh, we see him as high and lifted up we see him as the one who has no need we're not we're not serving him as if he lacks something our service to him is a response of of what he has done for us in christ and that's all rooted in the fact that he is the supreme authority then in 30 to 34 we see that he's the final judge and i think we already brought some of this out um The times of ignorance God has overlooked. Now He commands all people everywhere to repent. He has fixed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness. So there is coming a day when when God will judge the living and the dead. Uh, He will do so according to the man that He has fixed, appointed, uh, but we see God presented here in this passage as the final judge. <clears throat> so that's even, I mean, just even to draw out from from where we've been, how we're seeing Paul point to those things in his speech at Mars Hill. Any any thoughts on that? I have a question.
2: Yeah? Uh, One of says, He is appointed a day in which He will judge the world of righteousness by that man... Small M, whom he hath ordained. Mm -hmm. So we know who that judge is going to be. Does he say anywhere who that judge will be? But he doesn't say it to them. Other than we Good. We know Jesus will be the judge of God. Yeah. But he says, by that man, small M, whom he hath ordained. Yeah know else in Acts it says that Jesus is
0: going to be the judge or, well I think I think so if you keep reading in that verse okay. Um what, well, what does it say?
2: Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men and that he hath raised him from the dead.
0: So who's that him pointing back to? Yeah. The man. And so who was raised from the dead? The Lord Jesus.
2: But with them they it'd be an argument says <coughs> You're, you're crazy. Yeah. They mock them. Yeah. So yeah, to to us, yeah, we know that. Yeah,
0: right? exactly. I'd
2: like to hear the other matter. See, we, we hear yeah. again of this matter. Right, <laughs> right. Hear the
0: other. Yeah, I'm I'm interested by that. Tell me more. Yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah. Exactly.
0: And so in in this exchange, Paul is preaching the gospel to philosophers. And, and no, matter, no matter what, if it's philosophers or not, the gospel always comes back to who God is. And, and we, we see God most rightly when we see him as creator, authority, and judge. And so think about even just the, the setting that Paul is in as he's sharing this message And think with me about this question: How does Paul's message of the gospel confront their thinking?
2: Just on the paper.
0: I don't. I
2: don't. Oh, I'm sorry.
0: Sorry.
2: I think going
1: back to verse 17, just using that verb "reasoned" in the synagogue. Hmm. He's speaking to them in a way that they can understand. Yeah. He's not. He's not going to the oracles and the prophets and speaking logically. Nor is he going and speaking in terms of prophecy to those who are logical. Yeah. He's reasoning with philosophers. Right. I, mean, I think that's that's very interesting because again, like I was just talking to Pastor Tim last week. On the college campus, I'm not going to take my theol like my Christian theology textbook, open yeah. it up and have a conversation. with somebody. Yeah. Like, what?
0: Not, Why not? Why? Uh, right. What are you even doing? <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. Nah, yeah. just kidding. No, I hear you. I'm but, just giving yeah, you a hard it's time.
1: That, that same concept of speaking to those. He's he's confronting their thinking by speaking to them in terms that they can understand. Yeah. Um, and by doing so. And speaking with the authority of God mm. in a manner worthy of understanding, right. it confronts their thinking.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so he knows the audience, right? And that's exactly what you're saying about not taking a theology textbook for that sort of conversation. You have to know who you're talking to. And, and this is more than just relational, because Paul, I mean, probably doesn't have a relationship with most of these people, but he knows how they think. And so, so Paul is specifically speaking to philosophical understandings. So, maybe it would even be helpful for us to, to just define what it says in verse 18, Epicurean and Stoic philosophers.
2: Okay.
0: <laughs> so that we know how these people are thinking to understand a little bit better uh, what... Why Paul says what he says. So, a Stoic, and I'll give longer definitions of of this, but to boil it down, a Stoic would believe that God is not material. And they would believe that he has need. An Epicurean would see God as the creator, but they see pleasure as the chief goal of life. So, so, Epicureanism started with this guy, Epicurus, who lived from 342 to 270 BC. And, and he started this, this movement, I guess, is the best thing to call it, this philosophical worldview that was apparently still active at the Areopagus when Paul is speaking some 400 years later. No, not 400. Maybe like 250, 300. Um, and so, Epicurus taught that pleasure is the chief goal of life, and, and he defined pleasure as being uh, free from pain and living a life of tranquility. So, a, a life of peace is, a, is, is found only in a life that is free from pain, He did not, it did not deny the existence of God or gods, but maybe more so was deistic, meaning that he believed the gods took no interest in the lives of humans. Epicurus saw pleasure as the greatest good, and pleasure can only come through living modestly so that you can limit your desires. And this is kind of similar even to some Buddhist thought. And and that's what's going to lead to, a li- lead to a life of tranquility, and freedom from fear, and a life absent of bodily pain. <laughs> so th- this is this is one of the groups that he's talking to. Okay. Another group, or the Stoics, or Stoicism, was founded by Cypriote Zeno, who lived around the same time, 340 to 265 BC. Uh, he was from Athens. So Paul here in Athens, would definitely be be confronting his thought. His philosophy centered on living life harmoniously with nature, and he emphasized man's rational abilities and individual self-sufficiency. He was basically pantheistic, which means that he thought of God as the world soul. And so he presented a way of life Because what you believe is best seen in how you live. I agree with him on that. Everything, though, for him is rooted in nature. And and so he saw the universe as a manifestation of God. And so to live a good life, you must understand everything is rooted in nature. So then, based on just a brief overview of those two things, maybe we reconsider the question, um, how is Paul confronting their thinking, based on what he says.
2: Well, evidently Paul knows what they believe, like you're just saying to. Yeah. Two. So he's talking to he's talking to them as if he they know he understands what they think. Mm-hmm. Well
0: he points out the. The self sufficiency of God, mm-hmm. need anything. Yep. Um, combat the, the Stoic mm-hmm. um, thought. And then commands repentance and shows approaching judgment to combat the um, um, Epicurean thought. Yeah.
2: So that's where the religions came from, from Epicurus and Stoicism. Is that the names of the two people?
0: Yeah. Yeah, the The first guy was Epicurus. The second one's Cypriote. Okay. Ze- Cypriote Zeno.
2: Because 18 says, then certain philosophers of the Epicurean and yeah. Stoics yeah. counted said, yeah. who knows how many there
0: were. Right. And there they probably were. were a whole bunch. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they
2: were very, what's it say, Devout
0: persons. Yeah. yeah very, very knowledgeable. Yeah. Seventeen Devout. So that's interesting, right? Yeah. Come in, anybody? Home? <laughs> <laughs> I got a question about Epicureanism. This is too far off-topic? We'll see if I can even answer <laughs> it. <laughs>
1: what would you say, like, are the similarities between Epicureanism and, like, Hedonism? Mm-hmm.
0: Um... Yeah, I, so, yeah, I'm at school. I think, I think Epicureanism would, uh, probably. would probably see, that is a good question. Pleasure is the chief goal. I think there are there are definitely some similarities. So hedonism is more so like it, it's very fixated on pleasure in the moment. Whereas Epicureanism seems to be more on a pathway of like just ridding your life of anything that would cause pain. It's
1: like that. Yeah. The physical world. Okay. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. So what but, is he that is a man? Or did uh, you say yeah,
0: that? Yeah, yeah, basically that... Um, Spiritual
1: separation. Like instead of the pleasure is derived from separating what could lead to loss, whereas Epicureanism would just be modesty for the sake of pleasure. hmm mm-hmm. oh. okay.
0: Yeah, and I I don't know a lot about any of those systems. So Yeah. I have <laughs> yeah. So then in in our final few minutes, just just to think about the question, what 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 do we find particularly helpful about Paul's example in Acts 17? I've got a few things, but if you have some things to share as well, I'd love to hear them. Like how articulate he
1: is about God. Yeah. I mean,
0: he doesn't Right. He has very clear thoughts, and he's very bold in proclaiming them. Absolutely. And yet he does so in a manner that is worthy of
1: reason, worthy of listening to, mainly because it's done out of luck. Yeah. It's not. Let me come in and just ruin all of your thoughts. Yeah. It's, hey, I see that you are a religious person. Let's let's <laughs> dig into that a little bit. Right. There you
0: go. Let's see. You have this thing to the unknown god. Right? Yeah, yeah. He finds a door. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and and I, like just even to piggyback on that, like I think it would be very easy for me in a similar situation to just go in and be like, "Oh, well, this, this, and this, you're wrong." Right. Yeah. That would be maybe... me. <laughs> but instead, Paul he's aware of what they believe and confronts their false views with truth. And I mean, that's Difficult, but something I think we should strive for. And and I mean, mm-hmm. that that would require of us at least basic knowledge of, of what it is that we're interacting with and whoever we're interacting. Yeah, at some point um, for this encounter, either before it immediately or in the past, Paul at some point had to have listened to... Um, epicurean and mm-hmm. stoic philosophers at some point. Right. In order to be able to engage with them the way he does. Yeah. So either it was the day before he right, decided right, to bring something up and yeah. stayed and listened or yeah. sometime in the past. Yeah. He might like
2: in verse 24 like he brought them right around to, you know, like if you're going to focus on nature and, mm-hmm. and all that, he brought yeah. them to the very
0: one who yeah. created Yeah. Like Absolutely. Created. Yeah. Great. Yeah, and just the—I don't know why this phrase popped into my head—the—the the theological judo that's necessary to to see the false belief and and be able to to use that to point to truth. I mean, God make us like that. I, like, yeah. So he's able to use their false beliefs and and I think that's that's rooted in in something like the statement that has been made uh that I've heard all truth is god's truth right so anything that is true is universally true it's true because god has made it true we can use that truth to point to the truth and and yeah if we could do that in our conversations, I think we would have great spiritual conversations. So those are just some of the ways that I'm I'm encouraged and challenged even by Paul's words. Uh, but we will have to stop there. Uh, we'll look at next week the biblical response to the gospel, the role of baptism. Maybe I'll expand my discussion of baptism a little bit because we've got the time for it. And baptism is cool, so... <laughs> Was that how they do with the Catholics? It could. <laughs>
2: okay. i like to know more about it. I like history,
0: so yeah. oh, I'm good. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Um, but let me pray and we can head out. Father, we're so thankful for uh, our time. We're thankful for Your Word that we can uh, come here and discuss it Pray that we would be encouraged by it, but also challenged. Uh, even as we've just discussed about the example of Paul, may we be more like that, and may we uh, be able to contra- confront false belief with the truth—the truth of the gospel. Give us opportunities to do that, and help us to be faithful in it. We love you. We praise you, and thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you once again. Thank you.